0: Should you take that? Yeah. I'm Allie Grant. And I'm just you. Welcome to Follow Me, your resource for all things influencer. Brought to you by Social Group. Now, let's see who we're following this week.
1: When an influencer hits publish on a post we make sure in that moment that they really believe what they're talking about, right? We we always tell clients, like, don't spend good money on fake love. Why are we paying people to pretend to like these products? When they hit publish, they need to believe it first, right? Because if they don't believe it, their audience is never going to believe it.
0: Hey, guys, welcome back to the Follow Me Podcast. Ali here with Jess. Hello. You know how we do it. Let's jump into... Who are we following this week, Jess?
2: Ooh, who or what are we following this week? So we're recording on March 13th, but Sephora Squad Applications come out tomorrow. If you don't know what that is, I'm sure you do if you're listening to this podcast. It's essentially Sephora's ambassadorship program that is run by our guest For We have James Nord on, which Ali will get into, but Sephora Squad is essentially a group of ambassadors ranging across from beauty, lifestyle, career. I've seen a lot of really impactful creators both macro and micro creators on Sephora squad. And it's a full year ambassadorship program where they partner with different brands across Sephora in those categories. And what's so amazing, and James will get into it, I'm so excited about this episode, is the value of being an ambassador for a full year-long program and the authenticity that it shows your audience, as well as the relationships that you make as an influencer with these programs. You're working with a small but mighty team and just creating those meaningful relationships that end up building a long-term career out of it. Allie, any thoughts on Sephora?
0: <laughs> Do you work for Sephora? That was an, an amazing pitch. Loved it. You know,
2: Sephora, I'm available, but we've had a few talent on our roster be a part of the squad throughout the years. It's been around for five years, I want to say. And it's a really great opportunity. And really, they choose influencers across the board. So put in an app if you're an influencer, honestly. And fingers crossed for you and fingers crossed for our talents.
0: Yeah, seriously. So as like talent managers, that's something that we bring to our clients. So we found out about the Sephora squad kind of early on, and then we send out that application to our talent to apply. And you just apply through four cards. So if you're not on four card, that's also step one, get involved with them. And the applications close on April 4th. So by the time you're listening to this, I think you'll have like a week or so to get your app in. So go and jump on that. But that is a perfect segue for our guest. I can't believe how we planned that so well. (laughs) So our guest today is James Nord. He is the CEO and co-founder of 4. So through his experiences building a following early in the social space, James Nord realized there needed to be a platform that helped brands and influencers connect, understand themselves, and understand each other better. In 2013, launched the first influencer marketing platform, in the world, and has worked to improve the ways in which brands and influencers work together for nearly 10 years. Last year, 4 transitioned into an ambassador marketing company and continues to evolve as it navigates and leads in an ever-changing influencer space. Well, this episode is great. We get into a few things. I think first and foremost, James really gives us some good information on how to be successful with brands as a creator. Wealth of knowledge. Wealth of knowledge, truly. He talks a little bit about starting for his background, how he used to be a Tumblr star, which I absolutely love. But this is a must listen episode. So let's get into it. You're a pro at this, right? You have your own podcast, correct?
1: You know, yes, we do. I've been doing the like weekly influencer advice thing for God knows how long now, which is good. It keeps me like close to. Some of the work is like my job is now mostly, you know, like running the company, not doing influencer marketing, you know, just as like you get bigger and it's like, I'm just dealing with like people problems and things like that mostly. So it gets me a little closer to like what is happening, what are influencers worried about, what are brands worried about, all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. And I love your newsletters you send out too. So let's go back. How did you get into the creator economy? what was your kind of first role in this space?
1: Yeah, I guess my first role was as a creator before that was a word we talked about. So I had a Tumblr following like way back in the day. So I started the Tumblr in like 2007, maybe pretty soon after it launched. And then a couple of years later, I think had gotten on some like recommended user list. And so then my following was growing in like 2009, 2010. I was, you know, one of the more followed people on that platform. So by extension, one of the more followed people in the world because the internet was like a really small place back then. And I, you know, had been kind of just like going around New York with a camera and I wanted to try and shoot for some brands. I'm from Georgia. I didn't like know anyone In this world, and so I would just like cold email fashion CEOs and and try and get them to work with me, which never worked. And eventually, I met my future co-founder, who was working at Tumblr at the time, and who introduced me to Oscar De La Renta. I shot something for them, like a a fashion night out party. It's that's uh, dating myself to mention fashion night out, and and then like things started kind of changing really quickly, and I got sent to Abu Dhabi to shoot this like yacht race for Puma with a group of of influencers like Tumblr bloggers. I think the like most notable one was was probably Jamie Beck, who's been doing well the last couple of years, who was also an early Tumblr kid. And coming back from that trip, I was thinking, look, brands are going to want to do more of this kind of work. They're going to want to be working with these like bloggers more. And, you know, a few... Agencies had popped up to help do that. And you know, I thought, well, there should be a technology platform that does this. It shouldn't just be an agency. And and that if we were going to become a type of media, that we had to be able to do like look be on a spreadsheet next to other types of media. And to do that, brands had to trust the numbers and the data that were coming in. And so found that through Tumblr's API, Google Analytics API, and Instagram's API, we could pull data and content into a platform. And so that's kind of how it started. I said, let's make a kind of directory. I think initially it was like a directory of fashion blogs that verified analytics and stats. And so that's, yeah, that's the very short version of a very long story of how I got into this world.
0: Yeah, no, that is... Awesome. Like do you still run your Tumblr account?
1: <laughs> I sadly do not. You know, it is there as a kind of like archival like timestamp thing it's fun to, to be able to, and, and cringe. It's like fun. It's nice and not nice <laughs> to be able to be like, what was I talking about in January of 2008? You know, I'm, uh, I'm
2: cringed like a week after I start posting. So I can have an entire Tumblr to refer back to.
0: Yeah, Like if like, my space was still like accessible, like, Cringe. My fiance also had a live journal, which he would get like really emotional on in high school, and like I would live for that to be like accessible
1: yeah. as well. <laughs> I mean, first of all, these poor these poor children growing up having to have like their entire childhoods on the internet. It's it's horrible. I mean, having your mid to late twenties on the internet is bad enough for me, but yeah. So sadly, you know, you know, Tumblr just it died so quickly.
2: I think it really started a lot of careers, though.
1: Yeah, it did, and. But it's like an interesting lesson as well for for influencers, creators, just, you know, how quickly that happened and how for most Tumblr kids, it didn't translate to a following on Instagram. Just like I think the Instagram kids are having a harder time translating to TikTok. And so the cycle will go on and on and on.
0: Yeah, no, that's so interesting. So what year did you launch for? Was that 2010?
1: So We started building it in 2012 and launched early 2013.
0: Okay. And was that just initially your co founder from Tumblr and you and like your own savings, or did you go like the VC angel round?
1: I was 26 or 27 when we started working on it. I probably had $10,000 in savings. And I remember we both spent 10 grand and we were out of money. And it was like, okay, my co founder was like a designer and like a mediocre engineer. So there was some stuff that we were having to pay better engineers to do that some of the API structural kind of foundational backend work. So we ran out of that money and we're kind of like, okay. We still felt like really excited about the idea and said, okay, let's see if we can go out and, and raise a little bit of capital. I, I was working somewhere else. So, you know, it would have been enough for me to quit my job. And, you know, we're fortunate to, Raised two hundred and fifty thousand dollars relatively quickly I again I had no real concept of what I was doing, but you know we raised money from like a dentist in l LA a <laughs> <No. and like laughs> what a, a smart money,
0: dentist he, right? he was, um, yeah. yeah
1: he's uh <laughs> he's he's probably feeling good now yeah <laughs> so had a few conversations raised a little bit not enough to quit the job which was like still scary having to then like Quit the job, and uh, so that's how we got going.
0: Yeah, we were both really excited to chat with you today because, as talent managers in the creator economy, like we work with Four all the time. We, I think, used it when it was called Four Card, and now it's called Four. And like we've used it across, you know, different purposes and for our creators. And I think we're actually running a handful of campaigns right now through four and three team. So this was an exciting conversation for us. And I've oh, like four is always the one that like when I sign a new talent, I'm like, get on four, like make sure you have a profile. Like it's always my go-to because you've been such a trusted platform throughout the years. And quite frankly, one that has, the most exciting campaigns. And I think you really have like a touch point on beauty programs. And I'm just curious, like how that happened. Is that a contact you had originally? Is that like been the purpose or the focus of the company?
1: Yeah, good question. So when we started, most of our clients were luxury fashion. So, you know, that first year it was Oscar de la Renta and Saint Laurent and and Gucci, and Bottega. And that was because that was who was working with vloggers, right? They were using for to invite people to shows, basically. And to, you know, it was uh, kind of amazing how much it was kind of focused on fashion weeks. And like, you know, brands were using this tool to kind of validate their incoming requests for fashion week to reach out to influencers, bloggers for fashion week and to fight to their shows. And uh, I mean, it's like wild how little of a factor fashion week is anymore. And like it comes and goes and I don't even realize it. And it used to be so dominant. So luxury fashion were the first clients. Then we were just a technology platform in the beginning. I personally never set out to have an agency side of the business or to do any services or to run campaigns. I thought that we could just build technology to solve these problems. The deeper we got into the industry, the deeper we understood the client's issues, we realized that, you know, there is part of this business, as you know very well, that is just going to involve humans, right? And it's going to involve people. And while we can create all this amazing technology to kind of, make us more efficient, to make us more effective at what we do, that there was this human part of it that we couldn't get around. And so we started running campaigns to understand that process more. And, you know, really the clients we service have come from where the money was being spent, you know, and and beauty is still overwhelmingly dominant in what is spent in influencer marketing. We've got Sephora Squad, which is launching tomorrow. Well, tomorrow... The thirteenth of, fourteenth of March, applications might still be open. You know, I think that really put us on the map in a lot of ways. As far as, you know, how it is, like being a kind of B two B business, it's hard to get recognition, right? Nobody wants to talk about the company behind the company's work. Sephora so Squad was this really public thing that was our idea. It was our strategy. It's our technology. We've run that program for five years, and I think is has become. Kind of the de facto, I would say, leading ambassador program in the entire creator space. And so we have gotten a lot of depth and beauty because of that. But, you know, if you look at the last three or four years as influencer marketing has grown, our kind of, you know, the campaigns we do have diversified quite a bit across basically all from insurance, financial planning, NASDAQ, to obviously beauty and fashion and lifestyle and all those things. So,
2: I think four is also where people kind of come to and recognize four as a place for those ambassadorship programs. So, you guys obviously were the ones that started Sephora's God, which is such a big campaign that all influencers across beauty, lifestyle, fashion want to be a part of. But I think four also does amazing campaigns and ambassadorship programs with beauty like Aaron or even Coles, And these are iterations that we work with. And so I think four is known to be one of those very dialed in into ambassadorship programs, which is like you were talking about how kind of influencer programming has shifted to. And that's really the end goal of influencers is to be in these like full year long programs.
1: We came out in May of 2020. And, you know, we had all this messaging to say, we're, we're an ambassador marketing company, not an influencer marketing company. And I felt like when you all have been in this game for as, for as long as we have. And I felt like in 2019, 2020, I was looking around at the space being like, ah, this kind of sucks. It's so transactional so much money had flowed into the space that if i look back obviously to 2008 2009 you know the people that had blogs outside of like being like probably like emotionally unstable and like being strange right it was like weird to put your life on the internet back then you were doing it because you like loved something right you had a beauty blog because you loved beauty you had a fashion blog because you loved fashion and and there was no money in it right it wasn't even like oh not A lot of people were making money. No one was making money. The the idea that you would make money on this stuff was so not in anyone's head. It was just kind of like a fun thing to do. And even in the early part in the space, right? Like, you know, those early bloggers that kind of helped create this space with all of us, those blogs were started out of passion for, you know, for a topic that they had a unique point of view around beauty, fashion, cars, technology, whatever it might be. And obviously, then you pour 5 to $10 billion into a place and say, hey, here's a pile of $5 billion a year. Well, you get people who are starting, starting their kind of accounts for different reasons. You know, it's a little more self-serving. Maybe they don't have a point of view. Maybe they're genetically gifted and they just look great. You know, any number of, maybe they were on The Bachelor. Any number of things that like, it changed the motivation. And again, not to say that those, you know, those individuals who came later were any better or worse, but I looked around at a lot of the space and said, most of this probably is not working for brands. It's doing nothing. And it is obvious that the people don't care about the products they're talking about. It is not done effectively. This is back when brands were like, I want Five hundred influencers to post about us on the same day at the same time, and we're going like to take over Instagram, right? And then do these like, like Instagram bombs or something they would call it.
0: Yeah. What was that one campaign that it was like for
2: this single dress that was at like yes. a certain um, department store? And they got store? sued
1: by the FTC. Yes. Do you remember Gosh, that, Jess?
2: That? Oh, I thought you're you, were, you were talking about the swimsuit. You know, remember the red.
1: It was like a Macy's. It wasn't Macy's, I don't think, but it was one of those retailers.
2: Yeah, like
0: Dillard's or something like yeah. that. But anyways, you you were spot on that people were into those like bombs.
1: Yeah. And we just looked around and said, gosh, this is like, I don't think any of this is working. You know, and the stuff that was working, the stuff that we enjoyed working on were these ambassador programs. And that's often taken to mean just long-term programming. But for us, it's a philosophy around when an influencer hits publish on a post we make sure in that moment that they really believe what they're talking about, right? We, we always tell clients like, don't spend good money on fake love. Why are we paying people to pretend to like these products? When they hit publish, they need to believe it first, right? Because if they don't believe it, their audience is never going to believe it. And we talk about authenticity and all this stuff in the industry so much, like it's this thing that can be manufactured That if we use the right, if we follow the guide and we use all the, you know, we hit all the points that we will be authentic. But like authenticity is just honesty, right? And so we have to find people, even if they don't know the product right beforehand, but like make sure they have time to use it. (laughs) That's weird, right? Like it's not just the influencers fault. Like brands will, you'll get the product the day before that they want content back. And it's like, well, this is.
0: A <laughs> and show the results as well. Like,
1: right. This is a skincare product that takes two weeks to understand the results. So, like, you're asking me to lie. And so we saw this and we said, look, this is just not what we want to do. And so we're going to say that, like, what we do is ambassador marketing. And I'm glad that it's, like, you know, caught on more and it's something people talk about quite a bit more. And I think for the influencers, yeah, they don't want to, you know, there was another time, I'm sure you remember this. Uh, I don't remember the year, but. It was back when there was like basically only 10 menswear influencers in the space and fragrances were spending a lot of money. It's probably 2018. And it was like every month, like every menswear blogger talking about a new fragrance, but all of them talking about the same one. And they'd be like, this is my favorite fragrance. And it's like, at some point, 10 fragrances can't be your favorite fragrance, right? You do have to pick one. And I think as you all know better than I do, Influencers also want to like go deeper with the products they love, have longer term relationships. And that's what the audience wants too. you know, they don't want to be bombarded with ads constantly. Do
0: you turn down brands that come to you that want, like, I just want one off story and I want them all to post on one day. Is that just, you're like, this is not the right, you know, program for us.
1: So we have a set of 10 rules that that are like non-negotiable. One is that we do not do single post campaigns no longer makes sense for us to take your money and do something that's not going to work and then you're never going to come back. So yeah, we, we don't do single post campaigns. We make sure influencers have time to use the product. We make sure that they don't copy and paste you know, their caption out of the brief or the brands are dictating what the caption is too much, right? I mean, gosh, when you see like someone posting and being like, I love enjoying a 100% USDA certified organic tequila in my margarita, and it's like, it's oh so god, nobody rough. talks, like yeah, that, right? And it's like,
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: nobody wants so it,
0: bad.
2: yeah. You would think though, it's so obvious, but I think a huge part of what we all do is the education component, both on the brand side and on the influencer side. That an influencer can't create a caption like that; it won't perform with your audience, and it tr- it makes your audience trust you less. Honestly, for organic or paid campaigns. And on the brand side too, like you said, one-offs just won't serve what you're doing and it won't hit the KPIs as much as we all want it to. It just won't perform in this day and
1: age. Absolutely. And you were spot on with the, with the education. And that's the fun part, right? Is that like, this is still so, it's still so early and there's still so much to learn and people are still really excited about it, which is, which is a, a blessing. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you guys do the creative as well? So do you help the brand come up with like the creative brief and the concept around the Mm -hmm. campaign? Yes. So you're in really full service as well as
1: tech. Yeah, so we have a a full strategy team as well. And, and, you know, that came partially because, you know, as we were building out the technology, I knew at some point the platforms were going to enter this space and that from a discovery and analytics standpoint, we can't compete with Instagram. They own the data. You know, we're never going to be able to build a database as big as Instagram's because they own it, obviously, right? And so we started to look at things that they wouldn't do. You know, you, you think about how do you build a moat, you know, for a talent agency, you all have your talent. That's who you work with. That's your moat, right? We don't represent anyone, you know, and that's not kind of how we get our business or retain it. And so, you know, for us, strategy was a big part of that. We were realizing that like, brands ultimately didn't understand what to do exactly and that if we could build out a strategy team to help them understand first the why and what, that then the how would come much, much easier.
0: How do you guys choose creators for your campaigns? Because I think there's like a handful of creators that we represent that seem to have built a relationship over the year with four and you guys work with them consistently. And then there's some creators that you just have never chosen for a campaign. I imagine it's the data you keep in your backend and among other things. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: So, you know, this is one of the things difficult about the platform. We have 180,000 influencers on our platform about three to 500 a week signing up. And ultimately, maybe I think last year we paid like 2,100 different creators, right? So like percentage wise, it is unlikely that we will be able to work with you directly on our campaigns. Now, there are hundreds of thousands of influencer profiles viewed every month on four. And there is an enormous amount of work happening that we have no insight into because we don't make brands pay influencers through the platform. So oftentimes I'll hear from an, a creator, I've never gotten anything from you. I was like, okay, well, what are some some of your recent campaigns? And they'll tell me, I'm like, that's a client, that's a client, that's a client. So they're being found through four, they just may not know it. So I think that's one important distinction. And then as far as us, you're totally right. One is, is, the data, we're looking for good reach numbers, we're looking for good engagement, you know, the influencers that that use our testimonial feature, that's something that we really look at. But also it's the it's the client, right? I mean, as as y'all know, there's there's no perfect influencer for all programs, right? We're looking for someone for this specific set of KPIs the brand has, for the strategy that we have laid out, for the budget that they have, for the products that they're pushing for the you know context that we're operating within, and so you know we're looking at you know, every one of those factors and and trying to find a perfect person to to match up. And often we try and start with this kind of strategic insight or this influential idea, this thing that we feel like is going to like to get people to like consider a product or to consider switching to you know the thing that we are advertising and so for instance if if we're doing something and we want to target new moms what's great about the platform is that we save every piece of content that all the 180,000 creators create across all their platforms and so we can search for born the words that you would use announcing that you just had a child postpartum born you know snoo like look at brands that they'd be talking about, all of that. And we can say, okay, here are 200 influencers who have had children in the last three months. And so then we reach out and say, hey, we saw you just had a child. We're working with this brand to do this thing, blah, 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 blah. And so often it is tied to the content that they're already creating. You know, we're looking for someone renovating a house in the same way that I'm sure for your creators, when they're going through life changes, you're thinking of brands that you can pitch them to opportunities that this might, you know, make sense for. It's just the opposite way around. We're looking at a brand saying, how can I get someone to think in a different way about this, you know, this moisturizer Well, we want to work with athletes? Okay. So now we're going to go look and find the athletes on the platform and, and brief them that way. So that's, You know, often it is the things that the creator are talking about organically, the things that they really are passionate about, the things that are a part of their life that are helping us find them in that 180,000 people on the platform to work on these campaigns.
0: This is like a repeat conversation we have with our clients where it's like someone comes to us and they're like, I want to work with Maybelline. And it's like, okay, great. Like, let's like have an audit of the beauty content you've created over the past three months. Mm. <laughs> There's none. So it, that's such a good piece of information and reminder as a creator that if you want to work with, you know, beauty brands, create content around beauty. It's like step one to become attractive to these brands for their campaigns. So Absolutely.
1: glad you guys are also. Absolutely. And <laughs> I think there is a... With- And I know y'all are like, like pros and amazing at this. And I'm sure you're giving that advice, which is awesome to hear. But, you know, there was this really concerning sentiment in the space of like, I'm not giving anything away for free. And why would I post about a brand if they're not paying me? And it's like, unless you are a top half a percent creator that is so in demand that you're just turning business away constantly, how are they going to find you? And ultimately, it's an incredibly competitive space, which it is, but like, yeah, if you say that you love Sephora and you have never posted about them, then like, because they haven't paid you and there's 10 influencers who've talked about them 15 times organically, then like, who's getting the job? Obviously they are, right? And it's the lowest hanging fruit for an influencer would be like, make the 20 dream brands and just like start talking about them. And then like, yeah, work with your agent to be like, like, because I'm sure y'all can, yeah, like then email the brand and say, Oh, you know, such and such has been talking about you. Their audience has been really connecting with it. Look at all this positive sentiment. Love to be in, kept top of mind for any programs.
2: Ali and I are shaking our heads. Yes, you're speaking our language for sure. So I think that is really a great sentiment for influencers. Just a reminder that just because a brand is not paying you doesn't mean that it's the end all be all if you want to work with them for sure.
0: Yeah. That's something we do is we create a wish list with our clients. So they're, you know, supposed to update it weekly, monthly, and like a great starting point is just like, let's reach out to the brand and get on their gifting list, go to their event, support them, like talk about them organically, just like anything in business, like start a relationship small and it'll grow into something. So we're definitely on the same page with you with that. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, and, and and in between contract, right? Like if you have a paid contract, I mean, literally like in our technology and our web reports, you know, one of the line items is bonus content. How many pieces of bonus content did they post? How many impressions did that bonus content get? And look, yeah, it's a contract and we should be paying. We are entering a contract. We are giving you money for a certain amount of deliverables. Absolutely, that is all you're contracted to do. But, you know, I'm sure at, at be Social, like, you know, you're not getting promotions unless you go above and beyond, right? Like you're, yeah, the salary is for doing the job but like future opportunities are, are based on over performance. And again, just a super easy way to stand out having done, you know, I mean, like 4,500 campaigns now, I think is, is just do more, you know, and it can, it can feel like, Oh, but I'm giving something away. And it's like, yeah, but like we work with the big influencers and they're doing bonus content. They know that 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 has real value and the brand sees that and they they want to see that you're excited about it. And again, if there's 15 people on a campaign and 12 of them post bonus content and you're one of the three that don't, and then I'm re-engaging, ultimately your chances of getting the contract again are impacted by that.
0: That is brilliant. I love that. I think that is so smart. And thinking about it like... It is a job. If you do the minimum that you're supposed to do in your job description, sure, like you will keep your job. But are you going to grow in that job? Are you going to get more money in that job?
2: Probably not. So it's a great way to think about it. And it's also added value for the brand too. I think like sometimes those paid posts don't perform as well as you could hope so. And that's just the algorithm. But that added value, an extra story, an extra post, an extra shout out that's organic, That would perform better than the paid. I'm like brands take notice for sure, and that's how I've gotten contracts renewed or you know down the line secure that relationship a little more, a little more closely.
1: I mean retention is such a powerful concept that isn't talked enough about with creators. That like if you made hundred thousand dollars next last year, and let's say it was your first year making money, and so that hundred grand was new client, new money, right? Like you should get at least $70,000 out of those clients next year. So if you can make another 100K new, now you're at 170. Okay, and the next year, that group of clients pays you 140 and you make another 100. Now you're at 240. Okay, and then you're at 300. And then you're at, you know, 390.
2: And that's how you build a career.
1: And like that is how you build a business. It's not about, oh, I worked with YSL Beauty. Now I need to you know, work with Prada, beauty, you know, fragrances, whatever. Like it's not about just checking off that next new one. It's like, how do I look at last year's campaigns and make sure I retain and grow as many of those as possible, knowing that like a certain amount of new will come in every year. And ultimately how I build, you know, how I build the is by retaining and growing those existing relationships.
2: Totally. And that's also how your consumers kind of trust you too, your audience. I don't want to see someone working with YSL one year, then Prada the next year, then Bottega the third year. You know, I want to see someone that is consistent and is actually an ambassador of the program because I know that you actually really love the product and the brand and the team behind it. Right.
0: Well James, this was amazing. I I you are so good at this. No wonder you're the CEO of four and you started an amazing company in the creator economy, but where can people follow you?
1: Well, importantly, you can follow for My socials are, can be a bit of a graveyard, or uh, James Nord.
0: Okay, and your Tumblr. What is your Tumblr name?
1: It's just James Nord as well. James Nord. I think it's just jamesnord.com. It's still there. If you you know you want to take a walk out and I'm really like.
0: Oh my gosh! Well, I'm literally <laughs> doing that after this, so looking forward to it. Well, thanks for coming on, and this is great. Thank you.